We're going to start with the webinar. Great. So welcome everybody. I'm really excited to be doing these webinars for mindfulness on vertigo and tinnitus. And I've been really lucky to have presented internationally at the British Society Audiology Conference and also nationally at the Audiology Australia Conference, where many of you may have done a workshop with me. Uh, and also with the NOTSA Neuro, Neurology Otology Society. So this is a topic that is very dear to my heart and that really is um, based on where I've come through all of my studies over the last 12 years or even more really. I started mindfulness 17 years ago. So welcome to the webinar. My name's Joey Remini. I'm a vestibular audiologist and mindfulness educator. And I have a clinic based in Geelong, which is Victoria, Australia. And that clinic is devoted to helping patients journey their recovery through vertigo and tinnitus. So I started my education with my psychology degree and I was fascinated with neuroscience and behaviour and, and you know, helping people um, through the world of psychology. Then I moved into vestibular audiology where I did a master's thesis and a clinical internship at the Royal Victorian Eye Hospital and the University of Melbourne Vestibular Investigation Unit. So I was really fortunate that I was able to work with a group, a collection of specialists who were devoted to vertigo and vestibular conditions and these were physiotherapists, vestibular audiologists, emergency doctors, neurologists, and ear, nose, and throat surgeons. And I've also been working with psychologists and also psychiatrists who have particular interest in this field. So it's been really great to get the rounded perspective and as a group to really look at the multidisciplinary model of helping our clients through these symptoms of vertigo and tinnitus. So my special background in mindfulness started as a teenager and I actually started a practice of one hour a day at the age of 19, which I feel really fortunate in, you know, looking back in hindsight. And in my 20s, I took on a formal apprenticeship, which was one-on-one -on -one learning of yoga and mindfulness for three to five hours a day. So that really was a huge learning curve. And in many ways, I found that apprenticeship more challenging than my uh, master's degree. So I was really devoted to learning and fascinated by it. And as I saw all these thousands of patients and clients coming through my clinic, um, I was noticing there was a lot of concerns about, you know, why is my body like this? Why do I hear this noise? Why do I feel this way? And there was a, a pattern in what clients were saying and a lot of feeling of confusion and hopelessness and helplessness. And so using my university degree and my understanding of neuroscience and vestibular audiology, combined with the yoga and the mindfulness and the psychology background, it was really nice to melt those together and give clients options so they could learn skills and tools to help them feel more safe and at home in their bodies. So that's really where this approach was refined year by year. And it's been wonderful to share that with my colleagues. So it's part one in our webinar series today. So we're gonna look at what is mindfulness. Some of you may already be practicing, which is great. And some of you may be really curious and not quite sure what it is. So we'll cover that of course today. We're gonna to dive right into thriving and this concept of thriving within uncertainty. So our clients and people experiencing vertigo and tinnitus are really living with a genuine uncertainty day to day. And I myself have experienced um, vertigo multiple times, both benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. I had that in two separate occasions. And I was really lucky to be able to treat myself and then get my colleagues to assess me and, and support me. 
And I've also had vestibular migraine type vertigo as well. So it can be really distressing and I totally understand. And tinnitus, I actually heard my tinnitus first when I was studying audiology and reading about tinnitus and just so focused that all of a sudden I was like, oh, I can hear it. And so that was, um, again, helping me understand how our awareness and our focus really dictates what we're perceiving in the world within us and around us. So I have certainly had my own journey with these symptoms. So we'll try some mindfulness skills and tools together today during the webinar. And we'll really look at how mindfulness can help us with uncomfortable feelings. So vertigo and tinnitus, vertigo is this sensation that perhaps we're moving when the world is not moving. So could be rocking, tilting or spinning. And everybody describes vertigo differently. So those, those of you listening may, may describe it in your own peculiar way. And I think that's a good thing. So we are all different. And same with tinnitus. Some people have it soft and mild, others extraordinarily loud and thumping. And at the end of the day, what they have in common is these are uncomfortable feelings and we can't run away from them. They're inside of us. So my clients and I are working together to use mindfulness skills and tools to help us hold this uncomfortable sensation and uncomfortable feeling and offer it some space and some kindness so we can actually treat it really gently and take it with us into our life. And we can know that it's uncertain and we don't like it, but we can still move into that place of thriving and being the person that we want to be. So towards the end of this webinar, I would love to have some feedback and interaction. So if you do notice you've got questions, you can jot them down on a piece of paper or just try and remember them. And then towards the end, I'll check the chat box so I can't see it right now. And then I'll also talk through some online programs that are available if you're interested in learning these skills or if your clients are, and further resources and training. So mindfulness, in a nutshell, is about learning skills. And the skills help us to really focus our mind and our brain on places that we choose on purpose. So purposefulness is fundamental to mindfulness. That means that when we're mindful, we're deliberately putting our point of attention where we want it to be. And that in itself is something we can practice. The other part of mindfulness is observation. So we're really training our mind to learn how to witness and observe with this curiosity, kindness and willingness. So we're moving away from the critical mind and sometimes we call that the inner critic. So we're moving away from the critical mind and we're shifting into this mind that says, um, oh, that's interesting. I'm noticing I feel wonky. Oh, this is interesting. I'm noticing that my breath has changed. And so we're learning to witness ourselves with openness to the changing moments. And this is sometimes we refer to this as the difference between rigid thinking where we're stuck and I can't do this and I hate this and get rid of this feeling and I don't want this. So that's rigid thinking. And we're moving into cultivating curiosity and kindness for our own inner world. So our inner world is what we perceive through our senses. And of course, that includes our touch system and our hearing, our balance. It includes our thoughts, emotions, and our breath. So these are all things we can use to practice mindfulness with. So mindfulness is a way of life. It's a practice, which means you don't just read about it, you learn by doing, and it impacts on our neural pathways. So tomorrow night in part two of our webinars, we'll be looking at the science behind mindfulness and really getting into the neuroplasticity 
and how exciting it is that we can recover and we can repair our pathways, even if there's been permanent damage. The body can compensate and find new ways of analyzing and filtering our information. So that's really exciting and we see it in our clients as they recover and improve. So let's have a go. So I'll invite you all to close your eyes. If you feel comfortable, I've written down there, and also if you're not driving. So some of you may have um, keyed in on your phones. So close your eyes and I'm going to invite you to just see if you can feel what you're touching in the furniture underneath you. So if you're sitting down, I want you to feel into possibly the chair that you're sitting on. See if you can feel that in your sitting bones and your legs. And then see if you can get your mind to travel all the way down towards your feet. And it's like your brain is now focusing on the soles of your feet. And see if you can feel this, the tactile touch of your feet against your socks, shoes or the floor. And this will be a different sensation for every participant listening because you'll all be in your own environment and you'll all have your own inner world experience where your senses are unique to you. And so some of you might be thinking, oh, I can't really feel my feet. So you might want to try wiggling your toes. You might want to try pressing your feet down a little bit more firmly. And just notice how what we're doing here is we're teaching the mind to become very focused on one simple thing, which is just the soles of the feet. And the more we practice focusing on the soles of our feet, the more that pathway from the feet to the brain becomes louder and stronger. And by boosting our proprioception or our touch, by using our skin and our muscle information, we are, of course, increasing our body awareness, which is really important for people who have balance disorders or conditions. And I want you to see now if you can shift your mind away from your feet and I want you to connect with all the people who are registered in this webinar. And it looks like we've got about almost 30 people on the video webinar and there will be a number more who have logged in on their phone and there's been over 120 people who are registered and some of those will be watching the replay so we're connected past, present and future. And see if you can use your focus and your mind to really feel that right now you're a part of a community and you're a part of a community who deeply cares and is interested in both vertigo and tinnitus. Either because they work with it and they want to know how they can best support their clients or you're a part of our community because you experience these sensations and symptoms and you're looking for support for your own recovery path. So just take a moment to feel that you're really not alone right now and there is a lot of people who deeply care. And then as you feel ready, you can either keep your eyes closed and, and keep listening into the webinar with this sense of quietness and inwardness or you can open your eyes and come back and follow the PowerPoint slides. So when we go into our mindfulness, we're really training ourselves to feel within our inner world and connect with the present moment. And the present moment could be an emotional connection like we just connected as a community or it could be a physical connection. You know, where are my feet right now? Where is the floor? Can I actually localise myself? And I was delivering a training on Vertigo for some GP doctors recently and they were sort of they were learning about vertigo and the patient recovery process and i was trying to explain what my role is 
as a vestibular audiologist and mindfulness educator. So the medical doctors help with all of our blood tests, scans and checking the cardio and the respiratory and really making sure that we can rest assured that our body itself is strong and healthy. So we're looking into that from the medical perspective. And by the time patients come and see me, they may have already seen psychiatrists, psychologists, neurologists, ear, nose and throat surgeons, physiotherapists, um, you name it. They may have even tried Chinese medicine doctors and massage and naturopathy and all sorts of things. So by the time they come and see me, we're really looking at how can I best be prepared for my symptoms? And so it's almost like if you're going to go for a trip at the snow and you're going to drive up to the mountains and go skiing, how would you prepare for that? And I'm betting you'd do research, you'd buy equipment, you'd want to be warm, you'd get all the skiing or snowboarding equipment you need and you'd organise accommodation. Because if you think about it, if you go up there with no tools, no skills and no preparation, you'll be really cold and you'll be really lonely and you'll be frustrated thinking, oh, everybody else is skiing and why can't I do that? And sometimes with the vertigo and tinnitus symptoms, I feel like people feel a little bit you know, isolated and unprepared and they're looking at everybody else going, well, why can, why can they go to the pub and go to the parties and talk to people and I can't? And so the skills and tools I'm helping clients to learn are really getting what they need to, to be where they want to be and go where they want to go. So it's this idea of thriving within uncertainty. So you can still go to the snow and you can still ski, but we have to get the tools to get us there. So in clinic, patients will often report anxiety, depression, isolation, participation restriction, so they can't do what they want to do, and postural tension, especially around the shoulders and the neck from trying not to get dizzy or move the head. So mindfulness really helps to drop into those feelings to make space for feeling vulnerable and going, yeah, I'm allowed to feel anxious. When I'm dizzy, I lose orientation and I don't feel safe. And it's normal to feel anxious when you don't feel safe. So we shift into this space of self-kindness and self-compassion. And clients will often then notice the shift to calm. So they're supporting their natural emotions and responding and having tools to transition those emotions. So I had a client who wrote in and she's on her recovery path and she was sort of sending me a thank you email. And I took a few snippets from the email where she says, when I get the dizziness and if I get the dizziness, she said, I'm doing really well, but I know I can calm myself. Now that's an action. She's not waiting for a medicine to calm her or another person to calm her. She's calming herself. So it's this feeling of being prepared and empowered. She said, I can refocus my attention. So if I need to feel steady, I can find that steadiness. I can shift the way I use my body and I can wait for the attack to pass. So she's got this package of preparation which... Somebody who hasn't had vertigo or tinnitus might think, well, that sounds like common sense. But I'm telling you, in the heat of the moment, it's not so easy and it does require practice and support to get there. But it's really nice to know once you've got the skills, you take them with you for life. So thriving. So you can learn a little bit about me here. But we all thrive in different ways. And I'm really curious to know, what does thriving look like for you? So I don't expect everybody here to want to surf or play the violin, but these are things I have been doing since I was a kid. And I love surfing, I love the ocean, and being near nature is really important to me. It's part of my value system. And likewise with music, so connecting to, with people using music is really important to me and who I am as a person. So both of these things I actually quit, <laughs> as you do. So 
I felt really inadequate as a 12 or 13 year old on my violin and I thought, you know, I'd, you know, I don't like doing this, I feel uncomfortable and I'm not good enough, so I put it away and I quit. You know, I'm sure some of you out there can relate to that. And then in my late 30s, I got invited into a community, community string band and I had to pull out my violin. I had no idea if it even worked or if I could play it. It had been 16 years since I'd played it and I had to spend $900 on getting the whole thing fixed up with new bow and new case because it was falling apart. But I was really genuinely surprised and joy-filled when I realised my brain could still remember how to play the violin. I just, that blew my mind. So the brain is really an amazing tool that we have sitting up here if we choose to, you know, really use it and, and experiment with what we're capable of. And so I actually used mindfulness skills to help me have the bravery to take the violin up again as an adult, even though I, you know, I felt silly, I felt hopeless. I used my mindfulness skills to feel vulnerable, but to know that music's important to me and it was worthwhile. So I had to go through that process. The other thing was is it was super loud, so I had to use earplugs to protect my ears when I felt vulnerable with tinnitus. And really, after practice and using these skills, I no longer needed the earplugs and I could really enjoy my music. And that was a big stepping stone. And then with the ocean, same thing happened. I got bullied as a teenager. And so I pretty much quit because I didn't feel safe in the water. And it became a little bit more than just the rocks and the ocean and, and fear of getting injured but I actually then felt this sort of social anxiety. In, in There wasn't many girls back then. This is many moons ago. So the boys out there were a bit cheeky, you know. So anyway, I picked up surfing when I finished my study in Melbourne and moved back home. So I'd been away for 12 years and I decided to use surfing as one of my vestibular exercises. So by surfing on the ocean, we are challenging our brain and our ears to really fine-tune the system because it's so unstable and there's different accelerations and rotations that are very unpredictable. So I was killing, I was killing two birds with one stone in that I was able to practice my mindfulness skills in action in a way that was meaningful to me personally and I was also able to engage in this vestibular, um, vestibular rehabilitation in a way that was meaningful to me. And now the last photo is me, that's me down there mucking around doing some yoga at, at my parents' place. And I was actually on a study break while I was building the online program that I've created. And I really wanted, I put that up there because yoga is important to me and I've done it since I was a teenager and it, it's meaningful to me but I don't expect it to resonate with everybody. And if you, if you think you might log on to my online resources and, and learn crazy yoga poses like this, you will be bitterly disappointed because it's really not about yoga from the, um, maybe the, the popular known sense of it. What I teach clients is more about body awareness and self-compassion, so very gentle sitting, standing, walking, and daily actions that are meaningful to them. So the Spanish kisses is actually a gorgeous story I have about a client who was over 85, and she was from a Spanish-speaking country. And her goal, her version of thriving, was being able to meet and greet her family members and, and kiss them on each cheek, you know, as, as we do in Europe. So that was part of her therapy goal. And I supported her through this six-month support program. And she was absolutely gorgeous to work with because I speak a little bit of Spanish and she spoke a little bit of English. And between the two of us, we had this Spanglish sort of therapy session. And so I just wanted to get across that mindfulness skills and tools are very appropriate for people of all ages. And of all language abilities or educational backgrounds. So this particular client uh, couldn't actually write confidently and um, we were writing out her exercises. So every client I see has their own special 
home program. And it was quite hilarious because I'm trying to write in broken Spanish and she's like, well, I can't spell anyway, which made me feel better. But so she had to leave school quite young. So these mindfulness skills and tools of self-compassion and holding vulnerability and knowing that, well, I'm going to feel a bit nervous when I, I lean to the side and kiss somebody, but because it's meaningful to me, I'm going to feel vulnerable and I'm going to take my home practices and I'm going to give it a go. So it's this idea of curiosity and openness and I might be 86 or 87 years old, but I think I can help my brain learn. I can still learn. So it's this idea of feeling empowered. So after we finished our six-month support program, of course, when we were saying goodbye, she said, you know, thank you, and she gave me a kiss on each cheek. So we'd reached. She was happy. She was thriving. And she said, I hope I never have to see you again, <laughs> which is what a lot of dizzy patients are thinking when they... You know, they think, I hope I don't go back to where I started in this very isolated place. So how do you thrive? This is a take-home question for you to ponder. And often it's nice to stop and reflect and think about this because it changes actually every year or every decade. Our values change. So being able to connect back into that is a really a useful exercise. So getting real, I think it's important all, all of us in this vertigo and tinnitus community really understand and acknowledge that there is an underlying uncertainty. No medical specialist or miracle worker can predict how your body will respond tomorrow, which means tomorrow you could have severe vertigo. Tomorrow you could have severe tinnitus. It's, it, it's actually a possibility. So we need to know how do I stick to my goals and my values? How do I thrive in my community knowing that tomorrow could be really difficult? So we need skills and tools to support us with this underlying apprehension. So I've got the marathon obstacle course there and this is a client who, who reached out to me recently and I saw her initially for benign paroxysmal positional vertigo which is the most common type of vertigo. And it's when we have the little calcium particles free floating in our ears when they, they, they belong in a special part of the ear and living in jelly where they have a proper job to serve. So sometimes they fall out and float around. So my role is to help patients learn which ears affected and which canal. Now this lady had been to the emergency hospital, really traumatized by the whole experience, which is understandable. Then she was treated and she said she did feel better after a treatment, but she was referred to a physiotherapist who wasn't trained in vertigo. And the physio gave her some exercises that got her flopping to the bed like this, back and forth, back and forth. And my client was really anxious and she was doing it like five repeats a day. And now that exercise is not ear specific and it's not really ideal for that condition that she had. So unfortunately, she ended up rattling those calcium particles around until she had multiple ears and multiple canals affected. So she was now worse off. So when she came to me, she was exacerbated. She was exhausted. She'd lost her job. She had a number of life issues happening. And I'm sure the people with vertigo and tinnitus out there will understand that when our symptoms are worse, life seems to be worse. You know, it all sort of happens at once. So I met her and I was like, what are your goals? How do you thrive? And so she said, look, I've sold my ticket for this marathon mud obstacle course and I'm, I was training for it for ages, but I can't do it. I cannot move my head. I can't bend over. And I said, you know, if you're willing, if it feels okay with you, I would love you to get your ticket back and keep that as one of our goals. I would love you to be able to do that obstacle, obstacle course. And I said to her, we can treat this crystal condition, okay? It's, it's not permanent, it's not forever. I don't know how long it's gonna take us to treat all your different canals. And we had one month. So I said, realistically, you may need to be prepared to do your obstacle course and run through the mud and hang and swing on ropes and climb. And there may be some dizziness. 
So what we'll do is I'll teach you skills and tools that you can take with you through the obstacle course so that if you're dizzy and when you're dizzy, you can really be prepared and manage that and then just keep going. And so when I got back in touch, I said, how did you go? And she said, yeah, I did it. I got a really good time. It took her seven hours. She was thrilled. She's wrapped. And she said she got dizziness for about 100 seconds in that seven hours. So she could have actually avoided the obstacle course, pulled back, created distance from herself and her goals, all for the sake of avoiding that 100 seconds of dizziness. So sometimes we have to look at the bigger picture and think, am I prepared to feel uncomfortable and vulnerable a little bit for this bigger reward, which is being able to do the things I want to do? So I was really proud of her. And if you're listening, well done. So often when we have our symptoms at our worst, where we've got this like head that's just full of, ah, you know, I can't sleep. I can't think. I'm exhausted. What if I, I lose my job? I can't be a good mother. I can't be a good parent. And there's just this constant feeling of, of inadequacy and confusion. And mindfulness is perfect for this mind state because it helps us to, re to focus in and to choose where we want to be. And part of our mindfulness practice could be to watch these thoughts and just go, oh, that's interesting. I'm having these thoughts that I'm a terrible person. Oh, that's, that's interesting. So we're sort of watching them without necessarily holding into them and really buying into them. So many clients are stuck. It's like there's two sides of the fence. And some people have been told or just genu genuinely believe that there is nothing they can do to get better and that they have to live with it. And that I don't know why, but somehow they're very rigid on that and they just think that is a fact. And as far as I'm concerned, that is not a fact. There is always something you can do to help strengthen the networks in your brain and how your brain communicates with your balance organs, your spinal column and your body. And also emotionally, we have a lot of control and choice. So there's a lot we can do to manage the frustration too. So my role is to help clients to really believe that they can do something, they can be prepared and they can trust their body to sort it out. So this is obviously drawn to scale. It's a very scientific picture. I've got a brain up here and our brain is really capturing and filtering all of our information to help us feel stable, safe and comfortable in the world. Now the balance organs live deep within the ears and they're sending message to the brain and the brain is sending the messages back, it's two way. And then we've got messages coming from our bodies. So this proprioceptive touch and muscle system, that's like 35% of our balance system. So if hypothetically you lost function in both ears through trauma or some type of uh, illness or condition, you could still ride your bike and perform basic daily functions using the balance through your legs, through your brain, or sorry, through your body, I should say through your body, brain, and also the visual system. So we've actually got a lot of redundancy, which means the body is prepared for some damage and it can adapt. So understanding this adaptation and recovery process uh, is really important so we can support neuroplasticity. And the science is showing that when we're stressed or experiencing trauma or shock, the neuroplasticity stops. Okay, so this inhibition of brain changing, which is where the emotional resilience and self-support, I feel, is sometimes the key to helping patients with chronic symptoms recover. So I have seen very severe tinnitus uh, disappear in some clients and I have seen 30 years of chronic dizziness that has been a complete mystery to the medical world. I have seen 30 years of um, dizzy conditions completely resolve back to close to nothing and a lot of it the, the clients told me was when the changes happened when they started to really support themselves 
and stop expecting other people to fix them. So it's like shifting the, the paradigm where clients become a major team player in their recovery. So have a little think for yourself. In fact, let's just close our eyes and drop in, if you're not driving, of course. Close your eyes and begin to feel and ask yourself, how do I relate to my dizziness, to my tinnitus? How do I relate to my client's dizziness and my client's tinnitus? And just have that honest question with yourself. So remember, mindfulness is about being very purposeful. And have a think. Do you believe that it's possible for you to recalibrate your body and recover the wiring between your brain and your body and your sensory organs? Do you believe it's possible for your clients to do that? Or is there a little part of you that's resistant and going, no way, that's rubbish, absolutely not. And then you're noticing a little bit of the rigid thinking, which we spoke about earlier. And that's okay. You're allowed to notice rigid thinking. We all have moments of rigid thinking. But just drop in and think, how do I relate to my symptoms? How do I relate to my client's symptoms? And I want you to just feel how could it be if I truly believed at a very deep level that my clients can recover fully, they can feel, com they can feel comfortable in their bodies and they can feel totally prepared. How would I feel if I felt totally prepared for my recovery process and to actually be totally recovered? How would that feel? It's like this sense of possibility and openness. Well, what if? And just notice how there is there's a nice feeling when we open up to this curiosity of, well, maybe tomorrow is my day. So avoidance behaviours are really common in people with unwanted feelings because we get the dizziness or the tinnitus and we go, go away, I don't want you, and the body reacts and it becomes stressed and tense. And we can try and ignore it, but it's not easy and it's not always helpful. We can try and distract ourselves, but it's exhausting. So when we avoid things that make us dizzy or even avoid things that can exacerbate tinnitus, sometimes we're actually strengthening the dizziness and the tinnitus pathways. So it's by creating variety in our movement and by creating variety in our emotional life and our social life that we can help the brain to reintegrate the balance messages and the tinnitus messages to normalize them. So if we keep on behaving like a dizzy person and being restricted, we'll actually keep that restricted pattern reinforcing. So again, if you think back to me surfing, I had to feel vulnerable and go out and paddle and support myself through that very vulnerable uh, reintroduction to surfing, even though I felt terrified. I was genuinely terrified for about a year. And then suddenly my body had relaxed into it and I could enjoy it. So it's a process. Okay. So when we are trying to avoid and hide these feelings, it really is exhausting. And I'm sure many of you would relate to that. It's like we have to put on a brave face and people say, how are you? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I'm good. But really on the inside we're feeling like we're not at home in our body at all. So this is where mindfulness can really come in as a daily practice, where we learn to focus in on what's meaningful to us. What do we really want to, to do to help ourselves be the person we want to be? So it's proactive. And it helps us to focus in on our feelings, our thoughts, our activities, and to fine-tune, is there anything about my life at the moment that's actually holding me back? Is there anything that's keeping me caught in stress and then making it difficult for my brain to rewire? So it's this idea of being reflective and focusing in and helping the brain to feel, I suppose, what's happening in the present moment 
So when we're connected to the soles of our feet or connected to the sense of community, we're no longer in anxiety, futurizing catastrophes, and we're no longer in regrets or the past or those old memories. So it really anchors us back into the here and now, which can be a very calming and comfortable feeling because it because it's genuinely safe. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And one of the reasons we close our eyes is because it helps rest the brain. So close your eyes and see if you could picture your thoughts running through your head at the moment. And think about it like you're reading a karaoke screen and you're watching your mind sort of projected to the world for everybody to read. And see if you can notice what's running through your mind right now because this is a little mindfulness exercise. So I might be thinking, what if people can't hear me through their computer speakers? What if this webinar is a total disaster? And somebody else might be thinking, I'm curious to learn more about mindfulness. I'm curious to know how I could incorporate this in my home practice. So other thoughts might be, oh, God, I've got to go get milk. Or it could be, I'm really worried about myself. I don't feel right. That thought might be repetitive daily, daily, in and out. So there are many ways we can practice mindfulness and thoughts is one of them. Breath is another. And some people love connecting in with their breath. And it's really helpful for them because the breath, and we'll talk about this in tomorrow night's webinar, the breath is a key moderator of our repair system, the parasympathetic nervous system. But other people find the breath really stressful. So in my online program, I let people very much choose. If this doesn't feel right for you, that's fine. So we're all different and mindfulness can be used in a real variety of ways. Some of my favorite ways to use mindfulness are to connect with feelings and values. And then, of course, action. So we're choosing to be the person we want to be. We're choosing to give our loved ones kisses on the cheek, even if that might feel vulnerable for a short time. So this is just a little picture of what patients describe it feels like. So if the orange bubble behind represented their unwanted symptoms, you know, anxiety, discomfort, dizziness and tinnitus, when they start doing an activity that's key to their value system and helps them feel like the person they want to be, they'll say that it's like their symptoms get a little bit softer and they don't notice them so much because they're very focused on, you know, working in the shed, working with their woodwork or very focused on a conversation with a very close friend or they're really engaged in a book or whatever's meaningful to them it's the brain gets so involved in that area that the volume is turned down in the other areas and that helps them to feel better and feel proactive so this is a little uh, depiction of the brain and <laughs> The pink area, we'll talk more about this tomorrow night in the science behind mindfulness. But different parts of our brain are responsible for different functions. So we've got the balanced brain and the visual brain and the motor, sensory, touch brain, hearing. In the front, we've got our personality, thinking and planning brain. And then right in the middle where the pink is, we have our emotional processing brain. So the limbic system and amygdala, etc. Now, when our emotions are working um, nicely and we're feeling calm, relaxed and normal, the rest of the brain is able to communicate really efficiently. So the messages are traveling nice and easy. When we're feeling shock or trauma, we tend to um, shut down some of the other functions to focus specifically on the, on the, the threat. So if a lion's chasing us, the brain might stop doing some functions that are not really essential and it'll focus on running away from that lion. So this is survival mechanisms. Now from a tinnitus and dizziness point of view, you know, if we got somebody to walk in a straight line in their home, they would be like, no problem, I can do that. And then if we got them to walk the same distance 
on a plank that was elevated 20 metres in the air with a crowd of 100 people and they're filmed on international TV, they would suddenly have the threat and the stress of the height, fear of height maybe, as well as performing in front of an audience and being recorded for future people to watch them. Suddenly they can feel very shaky and their balance is wonky and they're not as coordinated because this stress is playing a role in how the brain and the body communicate. So this is important to understand because we need to look at our own personal sense of safety and comfort versus stress and panic and look at how we can really work realistically with our own day-to-day -day stresses to bring more and more calm and more and more clarity into our actions and into our thoughts so we can really get the best for the brain at the end of the day. It's a neuroplastic process. So if we're fearful of our dizziness and tinnitus and distracted and annoyed 24 hours a day, we're actually really strengthening some of those stress pathways. So it's really important to bear in mind um, that just getting tinnitus or dizziness can be very traumatic at the onset. And then we need, we need ways to feel into that trauma and process it. And the body is very good at processing emotions. And mindfulness helps us to move from vulnerable and anxious and shocked to, oh, well, that there's no lion chasing me. It was a little false alarm. So I can, whew, I can relax again. So we're able to modulate and regulate our emotions, which is a really great skill, not only for our tinnitus or dizziness, but also I've had clients say, this helped with my job interviews. It's helped me with my relationships. It's helped me in other parts of my life. So this was a comment from a, a man who had seen an ENT surgeon, psychologist, psychiatrist, audiologist, and he tried hearing aids for his tinnitus. And he came to see me for some mindfulness um, strategies and skills for program. And he said, this was the first time he felt like he had something he could really hold on to because we write the plan down on paper. And he felt like he, he could do something. He had skills and strategies so that when it was really loud and aggravated, he could hold on to his paper and read and follow and do something. And for him, that sense of being proactive and participating in his recovery, that really helped him feel better. So the tinnitus is still there, but he feels better. And I think it's really key to remember that mindfulness is very complementary to all the other uh, treatments available, whether it be hearing aids or physiotherapy or psychology um, or surgery. Mindfulness is helping us contribute to the toolbox. So we have more things to draw upon depending on what we need each day. Now, self-support is one of my favourite parts of mindfulness. And in the 12-week online program that I've built for my clients, um, it's really all about teaching them ways to explore self-support. So knowing that no matter what I face today, I can support myself through this. And that's a really nice way to very quickly calm that emotional part sitting in the middle of the brain that we need to keep connected to in order to support our recovery. So the idea is that we're helping our clients to move from I, I hate this and I, what if I never get better and I feel lonely and I'm confused and I can't think clearly, I can't do my job and we're dropping into this space of, yeah, I can feel that. I can feel that you're frustrated and I can feel that you're lonely and confused and I can feel that this is hard. And I'm going to support you through this every step of the way because I'm here for you. And so it's this sense of having an inner dialogue that's developing self-compassion. And the professionals who do mindfulness training with me, that's what we're looking at role modeling to our clients is this mindfulness in self-compassion and self-kindness that we want our clients to take with them in their recovery process. So we're moving from that space of catastrophe, worry, 
and resistance. So it's like, no, I don't want my dizziness and no, go away. I don't want my tinnitus. And we're moving from that and we're moving to this sense of mindfulness that says I can calm myself and I can be at home in my body. I'm okay. Even if I have dizziness, I'm okay. So I might open up the chat box now. If you have questions, great. Um, while you're typing your questions in about mindfulness for vertigo and tinnitus, um, I suppose I'll, I'll let you know a little bit about the program, which some of you are interested in. So it's, I've just built it and I built this program for my rural and remote clients who couldn't access therapy. And it's 12 weeks of step-by-step -step guidance to learning vestibular rehabilitation exercises alongside mindfulness. So it's all about exploring how do I feel at home in my body and how do I support myself through my recovery process knowing that it's uncertain. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. So this is a way of feeling very connected to a community, having step-by-step -step guidance with audio recordings and videos. And it's been really exciting watching my clients, uh, my local clients in Geelong, use these tools and they love the recordings because when they have a bad day, they just hit play and they instantly feel that sense of relief and I'm not alone. So I've actually been reluctant to jump into technology and I've been really surprised by how effective it is. And I have some clients who are living in, you know, Queensland or um, country Victoria and we connect for our one-on-one -on -one sessions via either video like we're doing now or by phone or Skype. It just depends on what works for people. And it's amazing how effective it is. So I am very much a fan of telehealth. And I encourage my clients to consider it. If they're feeling, you know, they can't quite drive, um, they can just call in from their bedroom and get the support to, to troubleshoot and to look at fine-tuning their recovery program, whatever that means for them. So you can rest assured I won't give you surfing for homework or something like that unless you're already a surfer and then we might talk about it. Okay, so we've got a question here. Driving. I have a patient who is scared about driving. I feel his fear is justified. How would I suggest he conquer this fear when suggesting that he allow himself to feel vulnerable would be dangerous in this situation? Yeah, good question. So I've had this in clinic and generally when you have active vertigo, so you're genuinely dangerous and you do not want to be on the road, you'll have a little bit of an uh, ease up, a period that um, you get nausea and a little onset of symptoms that are milder and normally they're 30 seconds or more so what I help my clients do is recognize when they're in that vulnerable space but still able to pull over so let's say it happens suddenly and they're driving and then they get the early onset signs of their vertigo I would teach them how to identify am I safe Am I early onset or am I unsafe? So their mindfulness skills would be focused on the body sensations. And some people describe this as I feel green, I feel triangle shapes. I, they, some people use descriptions like I feel sandy, I feel cement. So we get really specific at knowing when do I feel clear-headed? When can I trust my arms and legs? When am I safe? versus when am I early onset vulnerable and when am I clearly unroadworthy. So once they can categorise those, they will then feel much more empowered to make good choices. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Fiona. Okay. So I've had another question from somebody which was, how do I know if my clients are ready for mindfulness? And this popped up as well at the Audiology Australia conference. And the best way to know is to ask them. Just let them know, you know, I've got training in mindfulness and I could demonstrate some skills and tools for you if you're interested. Or you might suggest that they read a book to learn more about it, to see if they're interested in it. Uh, but, yeah, I would, just, I would just ask them straight up or just say, would you like to try it? And then if it feels good, we can do more. If it doesn't, then we can try something else. Yeah. 
Oh, and another question came through, which was, how do you measure outcomes, which is a great question, and I'll be looking at getting some research with the online program. But essentially rating scales, getting patients to rate how they feel, getting patients to um, see if they reach their goals, their thriving goals, and also their perceived efficacy. How well do you feel prepared? So that I use rating scales or sliding scales, yeah. Okay. So if you know anyone who has vertigo or tinnitus and you feel that they could benefit from learning these skills and tools, I encourage you to let them know that there is this online program. Uh, it was designed for rural and remote Australians, but also city people are using it too. So if you know anyone who may benefit from this sense of community and group understanding, this program's very accessible and affordable, and I'm hoping that it really helps a lot of the people in our community. And the first five people to sign up, I'll give a bonus one-on-one -on -one session. So if you would like to work with me one-on-one -on -one to learn more about your recovery process and fine-tuning your own program, if you sign up for the online course, you'll, the first five people will get a bonus with me, which is always great. Great, another question. Does dietary salt intake contribute to vertigo? That's a great question. And there's an in the free starter kit. So I hope you've all been able to access your resources on my webpage. There's an interview with Dr. Claire Azaley, who specializes in many years. And we talk about this. And essentially, it's not hard and fast science, but the ears are full of salty fluid, so there is a possibility that diet and salt can impact on some people, but not everybody. So we talk about this idea of trial and error. So, for example, if you feel like tomatoes make you feel dizzy, well, then maybe tomatoes is your thing. So it's not always so cut and dry like a rule book. And I've never met any other, any two patients or, or clients with the same triggers and the same... Um, recovery path so it's always like learning what does your body need and what's your body telling you great so what else do I have here's some links if you'd like to check out the uh, um, all the online materials and resources for those of you who would like to do a six-month support package with me and that could be because you have dizziness or tinnitus yourself and you would like to really commit to this process and neuroplasticity can happen and it does take willingness and it does take commitment. You can jump on and have a look at those and see if you want to work with me. Because if you want to work with me, I'm very happy to work with you. And same with professionals. If you'd like to learn these skills and tools for your personal and professional life, I have a six-month supervision program where we'll work through the online course and do eight one-on-one -on -one sessions together with case studies. And for those of you who sign up for the six-month support programs, I'm actually going to throw in um, a bonus session for the sponsorship bank. So we have a sponsorship bank for people who can't afford therapy but would really like support. And the idea here is that some people sign up for six months and they don't use all of their one-on-one -on -one sessions because they're feeling good and they're like, I don't need any more sessions. So they can then choose to donate their one-on-one -on -one sessions to somebody in our community who needs the support but really isn't in that financial position at the, at the moment. So I really like this idea of having a sponsorship bank so that as a community we're all supporting each other. So I think we're coming towards the end of our time. Does anybody else have any questions? And if you've emailed me, I haven't got my email on at the moment, but I will check them for tomorrow night's webinar. So let's just finish up by closing our eyes together. And again, I want you to connect into this community that we have. There's over 125 participants in this webinar. And we're in different countries, different continents. And we all have different bodies, different sensations. And not one of us can predict tomorrow.
And if you're enjoying being a part of this community, I'm really grateful that you have turned up today and showed up. And I hope you get many more opportunities to connect with us as a community, both through the online resources and through tomorrow's webinar, which will be part two on the science behind mindfulness. So if you'd like to just take a moment to really thank yourself for turning up and showing up, the first part of recovery is really just showing up, just going, yep, I'm here and I want support and I'm ready. So well done for being a part of this webinar series today. And I look forward to connecting with you all tomorrow. So I'll see you at 7.30 tomorrow night. Bye, everyone.